everybody, and welcome back to Opera Offstage. I'm Jesse, And I'm Michelle. And today we are going to be talking about the future of opera and just kind of where we see things heading and where we want to see things head in this upcoming year. Yes, 2020 is so close to coming to a close. God bless. And so it seems like an appropriate time to just assess the last year. This year has been a time of change in so many different regards and also in opera. So we're going to just kind of break that down and take that one by one and see what kind of progress we've made and what progress we hope to continue to make. But first, we have a couple of announcements. So thank you guys so much who tuned into our IG Live with Duncan yesterday. It was kind of a warm-up into today's episode, and it was really exciting to get to talk to him about all these interviews he's done with different people and what the future of opera may hold for us, because that is kind of the goal of this podcast and all the stuff we make is to be and feel more in control of the trajectory of our art form and to to actually experiment and push the boundaries of what it is. So if you didn't get to catch it, follow us on Opera Offstage to stay updated on those upcoming events and those interviews that we do, because they're a lot of fun. We also had a really great time with you guys last week watching The Nutcracker on Discord. Very fun. So fun. Just such a good time. We roasted some uh, not-so-great costumes, (laughs) and we had a lot of fun. We also have a YouTube video coming out soon where Michelle and I rank a lot of popular Christmas songs and Christmas carols, and we debate what the worst are. We really do get in a fight about uh, what really makes for the worst Christmas songs. Christmas shoes. (laughs) So if you like songs about Christmas and you hate songs about dead moms, boy, do I have a YouTube (laughs) video for you. (laughs) I have to cut that. No, it stays in. Oh, God. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it's a hoot and a holler. Um, You know, it feels very much like our food opinions. I have very strong opinions about Christmas music and which Christmas music I do not enjoy. So stay tuned for that YouTube video. You can find us at Opera Offstage on YouTube or click the link in bio. The only shame is that we filmed that prior to... Jonas Kaufman's Christmas album coming out, and therefore we cannot rank his personal versions of those pieces. You know, it's not too late to do a 42 rank retcon of his entire album. It's There's still time. <laughs> We've got even more videos coming out. We've also got a holiday cocktail that is coming out. It is going to be a mulled wine recipe based on La Boheme. It's very cute. It's very tasty. And it's a really good drink to have with the family that you can gather with at this time. So go and check that out. It'll be up on our Instagram and on our TikTok. Nothing feels more Christmassy than Bohemians freezing to death. (laughs) (laughs) The cocktail is about friendship and Christmas, Michelle. It's not uh, cold hands. Them. It's about taking a bottle of cheap wine and making it taste great. And so if that interests you. <laughs> a holiday transformation. We love it. Also, if you guys haven't popped over to our website in a while, pop on over because if you're looking for a good deal on our ebooks, on our role study guide, on our social media ebook, they are all going to be on sale starting this week and leading up to Christmas. They make a nice little digital good if you want to gift it to a friend or are just looking to, you know, ask your aunt for something cheap 
for Christmas, you can head over there. They're helpful. I think that they're quite pretty. You can find that at opera-offstage.com. Heck yeah. Last week, we talked about our tech guide, and we have decided that for our tech guide, we are not going to be releasing it as a worksheet you can buy. Instead, we've decided to make it free when you join our mailing list. And our mailing list is not going to be full of spam. We're not going to hit you up all the time. It's just going to give you a basic overview of the events coming up, fun things in the opera world, our sales for our items, stuff like that. It's going to be super helpful. Trust me. If anyone hates clearing out their inbox, it's us. So we are not going to overload you. It's just a great way for you to get some free content and some access to some cool stuff that we won't be posting anywhere else. I don't know if you feel this way, but like a couple days ago, I cleared out my inbox and I got it down from, well, in recent months, I have become quite like OCD about keeping a low number on my emails to where before I used to have like 2000 emails. (laughs) But like, it's like, it's the best feeling when you get it down to like, no unread emails. Like, I feel like my pores open up like my, I don't know, it's a beautiful feeling. I actually also went through my entire mailbox. I was like, I was looking at it. Mine was atrocious. I was about to say, you strike me as a person, Jesse, who would have like 10,000. I think I was around 900. Oh, okay. (laughs) Close enough. And it's it's less of me not paying attention to my inbox because I do open all of my important emails. It's more that I forget to unsubscribe to things that I'm never going to use. Me. Yeah. So I, I also went through and unsubscribed and I started reorganizing the whole thing. So it's a, it's a lot better. Yeah. But that, it does feel so good. Yes. All that is to say. We're going to have a nice mailing list. You're not You're not going to want to miss it. <laughs> the reason we wanted to talk about the future of opera is that knowing what you want specifically what you're aiming for, is really half the battle of getting it. Because until you narrow down exactly what does and does not work for you, you tend to kind of just go with the flow. And there's nothing wrong with being flexible, but in this period of intense change, we need to be more active and more firm in our advocacy and pushing through to the things we really want out of our industry. Because otherwise, the industry will tend back to to its norm. And now is the time to take advantage of that. So we really wanted to specifically state what we see happening and what we hope to see happen. And I think there's no better place to start than with education, because a good number of you are still in the college or graduate school level. And that's a really important time to know what you're asking of, because you're probably paying, or to some degree paying, to go to school. You have a right to demand certain things in your education. And I didn't feel that way when I was in school, and I don't know how you felt, Michelle. But I wish I had been more active in, like, asking for certain things of teachers and professors and of my classes in general. Yeah, I think that you hold more power than you think. And it's it's very hard to feel that way as a student because we're so used to, you know, not being in positions of power and just kind of having to follow the way things have always been done. Um, But yeah, I think that you do have a right to make demands. And if you are really working hard and setting yourself apart, like you should be, you know, reaping the benefit of your hard work. I also kind of feel like education is one of those spaces that saw the least amount of change over this past year. And so that's kind of part of my concern with this specific area, because I still see things being very recital focused, obviously. And what I mean by that is more so that like we've never I've not seen many schools, if any, that have ever really innovated the way 
they have their students present their music. It's a classical recital. You you do X, Y, and Z. And there's not a lot of innovation involved or personality involved in that <laughs> process. We're also still very much a part of very dry academic writing. And while it's important to understand how to write academically for music, I also think it's very important to write, know how to write in an entertaining way about the things you do. Because mm -hmm. very dry academic writing isn't really fun to read. And the kind of writing you're going to be doing is going to be selling something. And academic writing doesn't sell something. And that's all good. Academic writing shouldn't be selling you something. But the, the writing that we do in our program notes and in our other forms should be pleasing to read. And I don't think we always focus that on that the way we should. No, nothing is worse than when you uh, go to a recital and then you get this ginormous stapled stack of program notes that are just like so dry they're practically flaking off. And you're just like, <laughs> I don't want to read this while I'm watching this person sing. Like, there's just no way. It does have to be, it, it does have to be written in a way that is appealing to an audience that doesn't understand really what's going on or maybe hasn't been in a classical recital before or maybe they have been and it's like you just don't know the song cycle it has to be written in a way that is also entertaining to your audience yeah highlighting relevant facts yeah education to me is still a big part of what i will call the classical music funnel yep the classical music funnel what i mean by that is just like the natural way classical music will peel people off level by level but it doesn't do it in a way that actually means the people who come out at the end of the funnel will be successful. <laughs> yes, that's the bigger problem arbitrary. is every industry has a funnel kind of system where people peel off at different levels. That's natural. That's just, you know, that's just how life is. But for classical music, even if you go through the funnel and make it out the other side, you may still not have a career that sustains you. And that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing about a funnel is that it makes sure you only go to one place and it doesn't give you other options. Yeah, there's not a lot of variety. If you don't fit the cookie cutter mold, then so sorry, guess you're not going to have a career in music. And that is the most false yeah. idea that you could ever get through your head. But so many people leave undergrad thinking that. Yeah, I, I think one of the big things. So that is kind of where I still see things headed in general. And I guess on the positive side of where I th see things headed, I do see a lot of people trying to innovate the curriculums and trying to push a little bit outside of the Eurocentric nature of the curriculums in most classical music things, but I, I could still see a lot more. Yeah, 2020 has been an interesting year. I mean, we have no excuse for the decades in which a music curriculum has basically just been in this stasis of just kind of regurgitating the same thing across many schools. And 2020 has been interesting because... I feel like, if anything, the progress that we made in some regards has almost halted because everybody's been scrambling to try and figure out how the heck you do music school, the most, like, in-person experience and education you could possibly get online. So I do hope to see a continued trajectory as we continue to become more in-person again and get a better grip on online school. But there are so many things that are starting to happen and here's kind of where we want it to go i think if anything that needs to change in education it's a more of a focus on actual career skills and not that learning how to write academically learning how to put on a recital that has my four major languages and my couple composers and yada yada 
Yeah. I just want to see a lot more work on actual career skills, the things that will make you successful as a freelancer. Like, obviously, marketing and online presence are two huge parts of it that we never really talk about. I mean, honestly, there should be a business class that is is about marketing, online presence, and networking. Those all could fit right together. Also, managing your finances. Taxes for contract workers are a little more complex. And I had a class on this in grad school, but it's something that everyone should have because obviously you might be working a job and then you might be also being paid as a contract worker. And that makes it complicated to think about how you're going to save and how you should be paying off your student loan debts, things like that. And that's an absolutely necessary thing because that'll be the first big roadblock you will hit in school is dealing with trying to balance a job, auditioning, and taking care of any debts you may have. Absolutely. And I think going outside of, you know, marketing and, and you know, thinking of, your, of yourself as kind of a, a full package brand, you know, we talk about this all the time on the podcast, but correlating careers, you're so much more than just a musician. You have so much more to offer than just your skills in music. And most of us have other interests, you know, are very fulfilling to us. So, Exploring more of correlating careers, not the idea that, you know, if I'm a musician, I can only do that full time. I can't dedicate myself to anything else. Or if I have a second job, then I'm not as serious. But exploring those correlating careers, the idea of having variety in career paths and opportunities beyond just getting your undergraduate degree, a master's degree, heading into the yaps and going down that career funnel into oblivion. There are so many other options and it would be so cool to see more of that idea instilled in the curriculum at music schools. Yeah, like I would love to see people actually talking about where their career paths took them if it wasn't straight down the I became an opera singer thing. Because I even mm -hmm. now I rarely see people who are just opera singers. And I see a lot of people, you know, leaning towards more independent work. And I think we should stop counting that as illegitimate and not talking about it and being like, yeah, but that's, you know, that's an outlier. I would love to see people pushing people towards more options where they actually have opportunity and control. And, you know, the ability to to make their own way, as opposed to, once again, always putting you in the hands of somebody else making the decisions. Mm -hmm. And as we already mentioned, I really love to see the curriculum push beyond kind of the Eurocentric ideas of what classical music should be. And I'd love to hear more talk about the stuff that we don't usually include in the classical music canon. You know, I don't mean music from any specific area. I even mean, I did a paper when I was in grad school about, like, the absence of Mexican concert work, um, which was Heck bizarre because yes. it was kind of super popular. And what you saw happen in, like, the early 20th century was you saw a lot of popular composers in America copying it and, like, liking the work of these composers, but you rarely saw the, the actual work of those Mexican composers on the stage. I thought it was just really interesting because there are really great works. Yeah, you don't have to tell me that twice. That's my, <laughs> some of my favorite music in classical rep. My goodness. If you have not sung in Spanish or have not looked at the breadth that is like just Mexican art song, Latin American art song, Spanish art song, do yourself a favor and get yourself an anthology. It is the most beautiful music in my opinion. Um, but regardless, yes, I th expanding the notions. Yes. But it is cool to see we are on a like a baby trajectory. I am 
I feel like I'm seeing more courses and more programmed music from female composers, from black composers, and just um, there's more variety. Schools are starting to pick up on this trend, which is good. We just need to keep heading in that direction. Yeah. And I think part of that will also be, obviously, it's important to have a good basis in a lot of classical music, but I would love to see people, you know, mix up their Brahms with a little something else. Brahms. Talking, though, about, you know, these other career skills and these other options available, I've been really excited to see where online presence for classical musicians is going. I see a lot more young singers and young classical musicians in general putting their work online, whether it be practicing or performances or just silly content. It's been really cool to see people be more present and more active and more themselves with their music online. Whether it's on TikTok or YouTube or Instagram, it's just been really nice to see. I've also seen a lot of older singers um, and older musicians offering masterclasses and feedback. You know, Lisa Oropesa and Jennifer Rowley have done two very wonderful series on different aspects of performing and auditioning. And I just think that's so wonderful that they that they do that. You know, they were both offered for, I think, free too. And I just think that was such... What a way to pay it forward of of all the things that the classical music world has given them. It was incredible. I am very excited to see all of the new ways that we are experimenting with social media and online performance and just creating an audience online. I think what I want to see is in 2020, it's been really cool to see more social platforms specifically for singers rise out of necessity such as your resonance and stage time. I think that these types of marketing tools and platforms that put you in connection with other musicians and people who are specifically looking to book classical musicians has been needed for so long and is nice to have our own little corner of like the app market. It's also just really cool to see more resources being shared, more information about the best ways to market online. Um, I want to see more of that. I don't want any gatekeeping in this realm. I think that we really benefit by sharing those ideas with each other on how to just get more eyes on our art. And then I really hope to continue to see more authenticity. It's just I feel like we're so past the whole I'm an opera singer and I'm smart and classy and like this is my little this is my little shtick like I'm so elite like that is not interesting <laughs> nobody cares about that anymore like it's truly like the worst thing I think you could could do in terms of like expressing yourself especially online I mean think of people like Jamie Barton you know Tracy Cox who we've had on the podcast they have incredible platforms that they use online and they're so authentic they're not trying to be anybody or anything else than who they are and what they are and what they stand for I personally am here to be incredibly tacky and I'm succeeding. Yes, my little public swimming pool. <laughs> That's right. If you haven't seen my Instagram, I have a I have it under like a business account so that I can track things uh, for opera off stage and so on. But I am listed as a public swimming pool. I love that about you, Jesse. Because I can't take myself seriously. <laughs> no, but. You know, I hope to see more authenticity because it is that's what people are looking for, especially online. And so it's just that's what I can 
I hope to continue to see. And then also just burning the idea that your online presence must only show that you're a musician. I am so much more likely to follow an account that is like half yoga, half art, half etc. slash musician because you're just so much more than a musician. Like that's not the only thing that's cool about you. And I love it when people share these other little cool things about them. It just makes it so much more interesting and gives you such a better picture of uh, who that person actually is. Once again, you can be a classical singer and a public swimming pool. Don't let anyone stop you. <laughs> Don't let anybody <laughs> tell you otherwise. <laughs> yeah, and next up is auditions, which is a, a fraught concept still. For now, I still see I see more online ad- auditions go- happening in the future, which I appreciate. And I see the option maybe of more online live auditions for people who cannot travel in person. And I think that's going to be great. I think that's going to make things much, much more accessible. However, I do still see, for the most part, a lot of people are still probably going to be traveling. And they're still going to be charging fees. (laughs) I don't see the hold on fees continuing past COVID, if I'm being honest. I would wish it would, but unless we fight for it, I I don't really see it going that way. Yeah, that's my biggest hope for where I want to see it to go, is to continue... The trajectory that we're on of doing online, which is so much more accessible and easy and having either no audition fee or a smaller audition fee. And I would agree with you. I don't think that that will stick around unless we young artists continue to fight for it. Even then, I think just demanding that if there is a fee, that you receive feedback. Because the other thing about it it, that is so offensive is that there were a lot of people who sent off their videos this year. And when they checked to see how much of the video that the people had watched, it was like 30 seconds to a minute. And if you're paying Mm -hmm. someone to look at your materials, you are owed the 10 minutes it takes to look at them. Yeah. So yeah. I think if there is a fee, there should be a feedback. But the other big thing about it is I don't really understand why opera companies don't work together more often and do mass audition calls like musical theater does. You know, musical theater every year, people travel to one place. They audition for a bunch of companies at once. And I've never understood why opera companies don't try to do the same thing. Yeah, some opera companies like band together and that they use the like common application But yes, I agree. Like in normal in-person circumstance, yeah, I don't understand why that's not more of a thing. I mean, that would be the most convenient thing in the world. But perhaps that's too many singers to get through. I don't know. I feel like that's a genius idea. If musical theater can do it, then why can't we? I mean, you could still even just do like the first round call where people just do their opening aria for you and you can cull the list massively that way. Yeah. Even then, that would be easier for me than the, you know, traveling to New York, traveling to Oklahoma, traveling to Chicago, (laughs) the stuff, because I I currently don't live in an area anywhere near audition locations. So doing one trip to New York or one trip to Chicago would be a lot easier than the traveling to five different cities over the year. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of auditions, (laughs) hopefully if you do them, you get into a yap. And so... Yaps, yaps, I don't really see having made much changes outside of the audition realm. Yep. Yeah, we're largely in the same position as before. Which is unfortunate. (laughs) This suffers a little bit from the same thing as education and that 
so many just kind of canceled this year and did like concerts in place of like full you know the full yap experience of doing these the full yap experience big operas and stuff so it's it's the the full yap experience so it's like i don't know how much progress we really could have made when so many just straight up canceled but we have opinions about how yaps can be improved and if you haven't listened to our issues in opera yaps part one and part two check those out yeah i think i think what we'd really like to see from yaps is more honesty in terms of who they are aimed at you know i think it's really deceptive especially for pay for play when it seems like they're trying to be like we're good for everyone yeah they're not (laughs) And, like, what type of training? I see a lot of them offer language classes and things like that. And it's like, well, is it, like, real language classes? Or is it, like, just speaking so you can actually communicate with people in those countries? Or is it, like, specifically for opera? Uh, I would love to see more uh, specificity around what they are offering and and how it will actually help you. As opposed to them just tacking things on to seem like they've added value to it. Yep. Yep. I'd love to see us obviously move out of, once again, doing the same six operas in every yap. We don't all need to be doing flute or Carmen. I, I would love to see more yaps doing more interesting projects, especially for their young singers. Because having a world premiere on your on your resume looks great. It doesn't even have to be a world premiere of an opera that ends up on a major stage. Like I would love to see more yaps working with young composers and working in more of a workshop environment. That, to me, offers so much more value than a language class. <laughs> mm-hmm. Absolutely. I mean, I would really love to see the outing and the end of some of the more predatory yaps, is what I'll call them. Not every pay-for-play is predatory, but some of them are. Some of them are just there to get money, and they don't really care about your career. They don't really care about the singers they take in. And it's just a chance for some of these people to get a European vacation and... Write it off as a business expense. (laughs) So true. I would really just love to see a better, a Yelp, honestly, a Yelp for yaps that helps young singers understand which programs are really going to help them and which programs you really shouldn't touch. Because we want to see more yaps and we want to focus on yaps that are investing in singers and looking to actually help them move forward in their career or invite people back year after year. As opposed to the ones that are, like I said, just there to take your money. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, the European vacation thing is a (laughs) well-known. Oh, yeah. Where, like, their big highlight is, like, you get to work with an orchestra and um, you get to be immersed in in language. And you're like, okay, but for, like, $10,000, though? (laughs) Yeah, I, I think that it would be really great to see more affordable options. One of the things that I always just i'm so bugged about the whole yap process is i feel like do programs always need to be as long as they are you know it, it goes to the specificity in in training and that some young artists programs have an alexander technique class and a movement for singer class and an acting for singer class and you take voice lessons and you have like diction and like you practice these things and you're going to be in this many recitals and you got and it's just like so much stuff And it's like, no wonder this program's like six weeks. Like, it's just all kind of nonsense. And they do that because then you're there for six weeks and then they get to charge you for being there six weeks. And then the whole thing is just so inaccessible. It's so expensive. Yada, yada, yada. I would love to have more like 
two-week programs where you just freaking show up, memorize, go, put it on, done. You know? Like, no yeah. frou More like what you would cost. actually be doing. Exactly. More like the actual experience. And, of course, those types of young artist programs exist. And there are some that are affordable. But not a lot for, for young, younger singers. You know? Like, looking at below 30. Yeah. And obviously paying, if they are paying you, paying a living wage, it's wild to me if you break down the hours of like practice and performing, how little you get paid in yaps. And that is unacceptable because most people who are in yaps are paying rent. <laughs> they are paying rent somewhere and you don't get health care and you don't, you, these stipends are so rarely enough. You can live off of like $200 a week though, right? <laughs> Oh, oh gosh, it just blows my mind to what they expect of us artists. But shout out to Opera Neo, who is transitioning to pretty much being fully, you know, giving stipends to their singers. They always did that for their their higher up tier. And then their bottom was was kind of a pay to sing for their more young, young artists. And they're switching that around. They're transitioning into paying all of their artists, which I think is amazing. That's wonderful. Right? Like, hello, talk about action and, and, you know, doing what you say you're going to do. We need more of that. So as far as performances go, and I, I mean all types of performances, once again, the exciting thing about this year is having seen a lot more accessible performances in terms of, you know, a lot of them have been online, which means that people all over the world now have access to stuff that they may not have had access to, depending on where they live. And that's amazing. And that's something we should really focus on because the ability to watch and engage with something online is the way most people get to interact with them. There is a reason there are so many pirated Broadway musicals (laughs) on YouTube. Oof. (laughs) It is the only way a lot of people get to see those shows. It's true. Yeah. This, the whole performance realm is honestly probably the biggest improvement And hilariously, people get so mad about that, about the pirated plays on YouTube. But the thing about it is, is those people do end up paying through the nose for seats when they get to actually go to a show. Mm -hmm. The minute they have the money to attend attend those shows, they're going to go because they went through all the trouble of watching a 480p version (laughs) of it on YouTube because they love it so much. Oh gosh, in those pirated videos. If you make things accessible, people will go to them. Like, that's the thing. It's like how I think music in general has evolved. You know, like uh, Chance the Rapper? Oh, yes. Chancey. He doesn't... He releases most of his music online for free. And he makes most of his money through performance. I did not know that. That's quite neat. Yeah. And I'll have to fact check myself. because, But I'm pretty sure that's correct. Because I remember hearing that. And I was like, oh, that way you really don't even have to worry about the whole piracy thing. Because the music is just out there. You're making money through, you know, merchandise and shows. And I think opera should think about that a little bit more. Because if you can draw people in. If you can make things that make people want to come see opera. They will come see opera. Absolutely. But blockading everything is only going to make it harder. Yeah, the improvements that we've made through performance performances and performance practices online definitely goes hand in hand with the giant boost in social media usage that we've seen over 2020 and i hope that that continues to take us into 2021 and beyond i would love to see more work with living composers of various backgrounds which is we're already headed in that direction and it's really really great to 
to continue that and to to push for that and then more variety in online performances. I want to see less serious online I know. I want to see fun stuff. And I don't mean like bad music. I want to see just more people having fun. Yeah, I want to see more thinking outside the box. I want to see more, you know, like Three Penny Opera at, at City Lyric. I want to see more stuff like that that really takes a hold of the requirements and the specificity that we have during this time and just go full force into just having fun and making something new. Yeah, but definitely, definitely living composers. Because I think even though we keep talking about a larger breadth of material being performed, I do still see a lack of living composers work making it onto the stage. They're alive. They're here. Play their music. You know what I am so, so, so excited for? is the production that Tracy Cox is going to be in in 2021, Fat Pig. (gasps) Yes. It's going to be so good. If you guys haven't seen the trailer for it or like the excerpts of different scenes, go check out her Instagram. It's at Sparkle Jams. You can still find her contact info on our Instagram page. It's just, it gave me chills. The music is stunning. The, The story is incredible and so needed. And I just, oh, I love new opera about things that matter today. I love it. I love it. We love relevant opera. (laughs) Imagine. But as far as jobs in general go, like work within the music industry, I see more opportunity not necessarily being offered by companies, but I see more people taking advantage of the opportunities that they see in the world. I still see a, a very like small variety, though, when it comes to the things that the classical music world pushes as success yeah and i still don't see fair pay (laughs) i definitely imagine yeah i i still want to see us push to for fair pay for musicians and that's just frustrating to still have to advocate for people being paid a realistic wage for their work i also would love to see more small opera companies and more like communal opera companies where it's not necessarily one person's idea but just a group of people who have come together to make art yeah uh, small opera companies young artists those are the two groups that are making the most change and are demanding the most change and so it'd be wonderful to see more and more small opera companies it's hard it's expensive it's a lot of fundraising to get an opera company off the ground and to be able to sustain it but there are so many out there who were doing the work and are telling stories and are reimagining opera in a way that big companies can't or won't rather next year if you're <laughs> the great way to raise money for any music endeavor is caroling get hired to be carolers at christmas parties people love to have little groups of four and eight come and sing at their fancy parties i promise go talk to the head of your university True. <laughs> they will hire you for the big university christmas party thing that every university seems to have i promise offer to go sing for donors trust me they will pay you for it it's so true i also would love to see more groups doing new music more more groups working independently to put new music out there and make good recordings of it because we just can't trust that these larger companies are gonna do do that new music ensembles (laughs) yep we can't rely on big companies for anything so do it yourself (laughs) do it yourself And obviously another place that we've seen actually some headway made this year is representation. We definitely do see a lot of groups focusing on more black, indigenous, people of color and LGBTQ creators, um, you know, by composers or librettists. And the same for 
a lot more performers on the stage. Heck yes. Which is wonderful. And a lot more recognition for those who were already there too. For the non-binary and it's been very exciting to see people really start to recognize the people who have been paving, paving those paths for a long time as well as the people who are pushing harder than ever. Yeah. I think this is one of the areas that we probably made the most progress. There's so much work to be done. I mean, we're just like at the tip of the iceberg when you really think about it. But it is cool to see the progress that's been made in 2020 alone. Because sometimes when you're fighting a big fight like representation and diversity and equity and all of these things, it's hard to sometimes really put the progress that you've made into perspective. And you kind of can sometimes wondering like, wonder whether or not your efforts are really making a difference and they are and it's i would encourage you to take a moment to look back at some of the progress that we've made and as we continue to demand what we want the future of opera to look like it would be really great to see you know people of varied backgrounds in consultant and administrative positions to see more of these groups in positions of power yeah you know i want to see more people on the directing, casting, lead design in those positions of power as the head of these companies. Because as great as it is to be hired, it is even more powerful to be the employer. Yeah. And so I definitely want to see, because I think to me that is often the difference between something that is performative and something that is actual realized change, is when you aren't just hiring people, of varied backgrounds, but when you are actually putting them in the position to make the decisions. Mm -hmm. And as for the rest of us uh, who are not necessarily able to put people into those positions of power, think of all the independent creators you know of classical music who fall into those categories and make sure you are supporting them and spreading their work and interacting with their content. Like There are ways for us as individuals to continue to push and to advocate, even if we're not quite in the... positions we wish we were oh yeah if you share your friend's work and like somebody else sees that you posted something and we're like i think this is cool odds are that other person's gonna be like oh well this probably is cool let me check it out you have a lot more influence than you think yeah so yeah that's kind of a summary of how how we see the world of classical music and opera moving and some slight redirections we would really love to see i think we all need to Start focusing on the things that we want and also the things that are unacceptable to us because you never know when you're going to be in a position where you're going to have to stand up for something or you're going to have to advocate. And knowing specifically, having a plan in place for those situations will help you. You will feel more empowered and more effective. And so whatever it is that is your your current position in, in this in this spectrum, whether it's as an audience member or a student or a young artist or wherever you are, just take a moment to write down what it is that you want, the things that are directly in front of you this year, and then be ready to act on them. Because I promise you, you have more power than you think and you are stronger than you think. And I think this is the best way that we can show that. So if you have anything for yourself that you expect out of the music world this year or anything you're looking forward to, go ahead and send it to us. Go talk to us. We are on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram as at Opera Offstage. 
And we're always happy. Our DMs are always open. And we love to chat with you guys. You can also go to our website and contact us through there, opera-offstage.com. You can also talk to us on Discord. Heck yeah. The invite for that is in the bio of our Instagram. And that is a very fun place to hang out and chat with a bunch of people and send silly memes. We live for the beams. But wherever you contact us, we always love to hear from you. And if you happen to be listening on Apple Podcasts right now, if you just scroll down and give us a little review, it's super helpful to us. And we really love to read those. So if you can take a second to do that, we'd really appreciate it. And we will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.